Hey everybody, John Finn, Church Without Walls International, C-W-O-W-I.org. House Church Network, I encourage you to visit our website, sign up for my weekly thoughts, my monthly e-newsletter. You may, if you're in Europe, you may want to visit our European website, C-W-O-W-I.eu. And there's different translations of my weekly thoughts and things. Some great teaching there as well. So, but uh, in if you're outside of Europe, cwowi.org, that is our main website, no matter where you are in the world. So you can learn about house church there, some videos, question and answer. Um, it's in my weekly thoughts in the newsletter. That's where we put information about where we'll be, where our conferences will be, online meetings and such. So today, talking about the fad Christian, about making the word of God of no effect by the traditions of man. There are two instances uh, that are documented in Scripture. One incident is covered in Mark chapter 7, the first verses of that chapter, and Matthew chapter 15, the first verses of that chapter. And they have to do with the disciples not washing their hands. Or, and, and also there's um, Mark chapter 7, uh, Mark chapter 7 or Matthew chapter 7? Matthew, chap- Matthew chapter 7, I believe. Or no, Matthew 12, 1. Sorry about that. Matthew 12 starts out with them going through the fields, rubbing the grain in their hands and eating. And they do it on the Sabbath day. So in, in both these instances, eating the grain on the Sabbath day and not washing their hands, the Pharisees came to Jesus. And I like Matthew's, Matthew 15 especially. And they said, why don't your disciples follow the traditions of the elders? And this is the key, the traditions of the elders. Understand this. God's law is generally agreed to be, in the Mosaic law, 613 rules and regulations, 613. By the time of Jesus, the Pharisees, which started out as a holiness movement about 100 or so years, 150 years before Jesus, this holiness movement had had added over 800 of their own rules and regulations onto Scripture. So Moses had his 613. The Pharisees added another over 800. And in the case of washing of hands, there is a Scripture, I, I believe it's Leviticus chapter 15 and maybe about verse 12, talks about washing your hands after you touch something dead or you know extremely dirty, etc., unclean in other words, and washing your hands. That's Scripture. That's one verse. The Pharisees took that, there's actually a Hebrew term, and I can't remember what it is, but it, it means a hint or a suggestion. And the Pharisees took that and they made a whole bunch of rules and regulations off of that one verse onto when you should wash your hands and how you should do it and all that. So that's what the Pharisees came to Jesus about. Why don't your disciples wash their hands according to the traditions of the elders? Had nothing to do with scripture. It was according to the traditions of the elders. Jesus said, you guys do a worse thing. In that you tell a person, if you have a gift that is a tithe offering, a financial gift, a food gift, something to make to the temple, to the priests, to God, a free will offering, hey, I got blessed today, I'm going to give God an offering. Whatever that is, it's called Corban in the Gospels, and it means a designated gift. And, and Jesus said this, you Pharisees tell them that if your mother and father are in need and they're hungry, and, and you could give them that food, you tell the people they have to give to God first and let God take care of mom and dad. And how many pastors have done that? You've got to give your tithes, got to give your offerings, take care of God's temple first, and then he'll take care of your rent, your your food, your gas money, whatever the case is. And that's backwards. Jesus said that is backwards because God's revealed word says honor mom and dad. And the Pharisees came along and made a rule that superseded, that went 
contrary to that and said, no, 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 that money has to go to the temple. God gets it first. And Jesus said, that's backwards. You always take care of mom and dad first. You always honor mom and dad first. So what Jesus said was this. He says, thus, he says, you make the word of God of no effect by your traditions. In another translation, by your traditions of men, you have made the word of God of no effect. So the question today is, what traditions of man are you guilty of? And I say that because this, the people in Jesus' day were obeying, were doing their best to obey the Pharisee law, thinking that was God. But it wasn't, and it was short-circuiting their faith. It was making the word of God of no effect in the lives of the people. And, and that's why they loved Jesus so much is because he ignored the 800 man-made laws and he just stuck to scripture and started teaching them about scripture. That's why like in, in the Sermon on the Mount, you'll, you'll see Jesus in Matthew 5 say, you have heard it said of old time, or you have heard this. In other words, Jesus is talking about, you've heard what the Pharisees say. Now I'm going to tell you the way it is. So the question is, what kind of things have you believed or someone you know that they think is scripture, but it's actually just a tradition of man? And so because Jesus said the traditions of men make the word of God of no effect, then it leaves Christians saying, why am I so powerless? Why do I not feel close to God? Why do I think I'm doing all the right things, but nothing's happening? It could be, in part, that you are you think a tradition of man is actually the word of God. When it's not, it's just a tradition of man, and the Holy Spirit doesn't go there, folks. You see, God made his law purposely, purposely uh, vague, purposely vague, so that we would have to walk with him. He wrote his word in our hearts. We have Christ in us so that we can walk with him, so that the word and the spirit are in agreement. But if all you have is the word and you don't have the relationship, then you're going to do what the Pharisees did. And that is you're going to substitute formula. You're going to substitute cause and effect. You're going to substitute some means of your own device by which you think God would be pleased. And that only makes the actual word of God of no effect. And so you wonder about that. You, you think about that. What are some of the, the things, some of the fad things that have come along? By fad, I mean a, it's a fashionable thing for a moment. It rises up and then it falls down. How many people were paying attention to the color of the moon on such and such dates thinking the return of Jesus or the rapture of the church was coming? How many people go on those things, they believe those things, even tell others, oh, the rapture is coming or Jesus is coming or here we are in May and we're going to do this or here we are in September and this is going to happen. And then only to be proven wrong, they just kind of shrink back into the shadows there. And, and what happened? They put their faith in man. They put their faith in a, in a fad doctrine, a tradition of man, where somebody figured this out and figured that out. And then when it doesn't happen, they have to be careful because they, they've left the word of God and walking with the spirit, the word and the spirit always in agreement. And if they paid attention to begin with, when they heard that, you, they would have immediately checked inside, said, Father, is this real? And, and there would have been just a, a piece about it without, with a kind of a grievance, like, nah, don't worry about that. Don't, don't start naming dates and, and months, you know, and, and common sense would have prevailed plus the witness of the spirit on the inside. But people leave common sense in favor of doing something. Uh, how about the hundredfold return from years ago, hundredfold return? It, it comes from Mark chapter four, where Jesus is talking about the parable of the sower from verses 11 through about verse 20. Jesus is talking about the condition of various hearts and the effect of the, the word of God on those hearts. Stony ground, 
rocky ground, partially stony, partially dirt, and finally good soil where the word of God grows up and multiplies like a seed 30, 60, 100 fold. He's talking about a completion, a complete act of the word of God in somebody's heart growing up and becoming mature and in and, and fullness. And that's what he was talking about. Somebody lifted that principle of the hundredfold return out of that verse, out of the context, and said, it's money. If you give $10, you'll get a thousand back. And pretty soon it swept across the country and people were giving you know, big checks thinking they're going to get 10 times or 100 times that based on that principle. They were believing a tradition of man, but it made the word of God of no effect in their own life. And nothing came of it. Many were hurt. Many were hurt because of that, because of their expectations. And they go back and think, okay, what, what went wrong? I was believing scripture. No, you weren't. You, you, you took a scripture that was misunderstood and mistaught and, and lifted it. And you don't see that anywhere in scripture. Can you see in the book of Acts anywhere, Paul, you know, when he's at Lystra in Acts 14 and the lame man gets healed from birth, can you say, see him saying, okay, 10 shekels will get you a thousand. <laughs> just, people lose common sense and because, hey, what color is the moon? Oh no, a hundredfold return. Another one, how about personal prophecy? Years ago, there was a personal prophecy movement. Everyone was elevating personal prophecy above common sense, above scripture, above above everything that's revealed in the word to do and doing stupid stuff because some prophet said something and it was a totally new direction for them. Let me just share this. Per, as long as I open my mouth with it, right? In 1 Corinthians 14, 3, it says that prophecy is a word of a divine word, an inspired word of edification, which means it builds you up, exhortation, which means it's an encouragement, or comfort, it brings you comfort. 1 Corinthians 14.3, edification, exhortation, or comfort. That's personal prophecy. Now, if a prophet comes on, or if there is a word of wisdom, which is about the future, that's over and above. But if it's a, a, a word uh, of prophecy for a person, our example in Scripture is that of the Apostle Paul, and we'll see that that word is never a new word, a new direction unknown to that person. For instance, in Acts chapter 20, in verses 20 through about 22, Paul says, I don't know what's going to happen to me, except that the Holy Spirit bears witness in every city that troubles and affliction await me. Now, Paul said right there, I don't know what's going to happen to me, except I have the Holy Spirit bearing witness that something's going to happen. So this much he knows by the Spirit, but he doesn't have the specifics. So we go to the next chapter, chapter 21 and verse 11. This is the book of Acts, chapter 21, verse 11. Agabus the prophet comes in takes the belt of Paul. He says, whoever owns this belt is going to be arrested by the Jews and turned over by the turned over to the Romans. That's the specific, but that personal prophecy was a confirmation of something Paul already had in his spirit. So if somebody speaks a prophecy over you, like one poor man that I, I heard about, a prophecy that he's going to get rich in rental properties in real estate, that poor man had, had never, he left common sense. He never, he, he never considered the fact that God had never talked to him about that. God had not even put that on his heart. He was just sitting there and some quote-unquote prophet or prophecy said, you're going to do this. And so the man, without knowing anything, without studying anything, put a mortgage, without his wife's agreement, put a mortgage against his house, bought five rental properties, ended up losing everything, including his wife left him. And then he's left wondering, what happened? Well, you, you followed a tradition. You followed a fad doctrine. You left common sense. You left the priorities of your wife and family. You endangered them by your financial investments. And, and that was just foolish. And then they wonder, you know, where was God in all this? That's an example. You make the word of God of no effect by your traditions. There are many others that are, that are less harmless. 
yet still cause an ineffectiveness and a powerlessness in Christians. Maybe it is that you think that God lives in a building. Scripture says Christ is in us, the hope of glory. Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, I forget the exact verse, it's a couple places in there, that we are the temples of God, that, that we've got Christ in us. He's talking about the holiness and about conducting yourselves righteously and living right in life. That know you not, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So God moved out of the temple, at least at Pentecost, and moved into human beings so that, so that you and I are living and breathing temples of God. One of the traditions of man that makes the word of God of no effect is people thinking, Christians thinking that there's such thing as a secular job and a sacred job. You know, that you can't be in ministry unless you have a sacred job. And they forget Christ is in me. And so I, I, I've talked about this on the Randy Kay show and some of the others, I think, uh, about how that we've got, and, and deep believer too, the fourth one of the deep believer, I think, about how we have the, we have Christ in us. And so there are many people that will be considered in the ministry with pastoral gifts and evangelists and pastor and teacher and helps and governments and all these things that were never intended for the four walls of an auditorium church, but that are in us. And you take that pastoral gift to your office because you love those people. You're, you're pastoring those people in your office or those children. If you're a teacher, you're, 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 you love the students that you have and you're, you're acting as a pastor. That's that same gift because Christ is in you. And we have to, but, but you know what? There's this tradition of man that thinks, oh no, this is a sacred office and they have more of an anointing than I do because I work a secular job. You're, folks, you're believing the traditions of man. I could go on and on and on about things that Christians believe that have nothing to do with Scripture. Because we have Christ in us, that changed everything, that we're living, breathing temples of God. And and so, uh, you know, what happens, again, is the Pharisees had to substitute, because they didn't have the relationship, so they substituted formula. So you can ask yourself this. You ask yourself, do you believe if you do the X, God does Y? And if you don't do X, then God is mad at you. Then you're living in a formula-based faith instead of a relationship. You've got Christ in you. Why not get together with him? Why not pay the price to get together with him, to learn how to worship on your own, to learn how to pray on your own? Pay that price to your flesh and get to know with him and walk with him. Talk conversationally to the Father. Wonderful sunrise. Oh, this morning I was driving right at sunrise. It was such a beautiful morning. I was just thanking the Father. You know, and you just walk conversationally with the Lord that way. So anyway, if you can check any of those boxes, I, I encourage you just to draw back to your core that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You are free to live moral, upright, godly lives, empowered by the Spirit to do so, and you don't need all the other stuff. All right, God bless. <laughs>